Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to everybody joining us online as well. I want to give a shout out to our newest of newlyweds. There's a picture of a wedding last night. So we want to, let's put our hands together for Chris and Paula Newman. They were being a bit optimistic when I was leaving the reception. Hey, we'll see you in the morning at church. And I'm like, ah, I bet you're joining us online. So we're super happy for all of you and uh, the wedding party there. And those are Chris's two children, Rosie and Nicholas. And so uh, Paula's roots at Eagle are a bit longer than Chris's. Paula was a part of a Remember New Cambodia team that some of you participated with her on and just so excited. It's a great picture of redemption winning when you go through some cycles in marriage and family life where brokenness hits, you know, and some things happen that just land in the category of grand mystery. And then you have a night like last night where you get to see redemption gets the last word and you get to see the joy of God bringing two people together to run the race continually together. So anyway, open up your Bibles, John chapter 15. We're continuing our series through the book of John here, and we've come to that section in John 15 where Jesus is speaking about the vine and the branches. So he says in the first part of John 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener, and he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus continues on through that section. And last week, we looked at the really good news of that story, right? That he's the true vine, that he'll be for us what we could never be for ourselves, that he'll do for us what we could never do for ourselves, that in all the places of our life where we feel like we're a failure and we're not measuring up and we're not coming through, so Jesus says, I got you, I'm the true vine. That's the good news. And then we added good news, we added growing news to it. The good news is Jesus is the true vine, the growing news is he prunes that we might be even more fruitful. And that one's a little harder to amen, but it's the good news that he's a true vine. The growing news is he prunes so that we might bear even more fruit. And we looked at the outflow of that fruit, Galatians 5, fruit of the spirit type stuff. And today we're going to look at this word all through these first 10 verses. Did you notice the number of times Jesus used the NIV translates it remain? It's the Greek word meno. It means to abide. Some of your translations say abide in me. It means to remain, to dwell, to focus on this vital union, to stay connected to. The verb Jesus uses over and over for the branch is this menoing life. So branch life equals meno life. Meno life equals abiding life, remaining life, staying with Jesus life being connected to him kind of life. And here's what we're going to examine today. Chuck Swindoll says that a branch disconnected from the vine is only a stick. 
There's some stick-like things going on in our lives at times. You know, a stick, I, I went on a search yesterday. I was wandering around the Eagle property for a while, and I was trying to find, you know, just the right stick, and I, I found some sticks on the perimeter of the property, but they were still attached. So I didn't have any saw. I didn't have a tool or anything. I just had my gloves on. I was out there, and I was trying to break the branch away on some of the, how do you think that went? Some of you were, maybe if you drove by, you're like, what is Pastor Eric doing out there yanking on that tree? It wouldn't come detached. It actually became a further illustration to what Jesus was saying. I just wasn't in the moment appreciating it much. I was trying to beat the rain, you know, all that stuff. So I ended up driving around my neighborhood, and, and I found this branch that was like leaning up against a tree that I think the winter had gotten the better part of it. And I just walked up, and I just took the branch. Why? Because it was completely disconnected from the rest of the tree, and it had been for quite some time. And what happens when a branch is disconnected like this? Wow, it just becomes so brittle, does it not? Brittle, dry, hollow. Jesus said, you know, this, this is a good picture of what happens in the spiritual life when we lose sight of what it means to stay in vital union with the true vine. So what I want to look at today are, are three ingredients that help us as branches stay engrafted into Jesus' life. Because the alternative is we go the way of a stick. I think about all the stick-like stuff in my life through the years where things just became brittle and hollow and dry. It kind of, it, it, it resembles a branch. It lo looks like, but the qualities in here, what happened in that? We're going we're gonna to look at that. Because he, the metaphor is not hard to understand in John 15, right? So there's this vine that exists, there's the branch that abides, there's the sap that flows, and then the fruit buds. That's the metaphor. The vine is there, the branch stays connected to the vine, the, the sap starts flowing, and then the fruit buds. Andrew Murray, he summarized it this way in his writing. I commend this book to you, by the way. It's called The True Vine. It's really old. It's probably going to have to get it when it's out of print somewhere. But The True Vine by Andrew Murray, here's what he says as he kind of summarizes this section. When a new graft is placed in a vine and it abides there, there is a two-fold process that takes place. The first is the wood. The graft shoots its little roots and fibers down into the stem, and the stem grows up into the graft, and what has been called the structural union is affected. The graft abides and becomes one with the vine. Then there, hear this, the second process in which the sap of the vine enters the new structure and uses it as a passage through which sap can flow up to show itself in young shoots and leaves and fruit. It's the vital union. In the graft which abides in the stock, the stock enters with sap to abide in it. And that's what we're going to try to peel back a few layers on. And three qualities, I called them in your notes, ingredients of abiding. And the first one is found in verse 7. Jesus says, if my words remain in you. Right, you say, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. So this is the role of scripture in the process of meno life, of the abiding life. So the immersion in this God-breathed book is central to warding off the stick-like pull of humanity. Because if you just drift in life, you drift the way of a stick. 
You don't drift the way of a fruitful vine. A fruitful vine is going to require intentionality and focus and effort over a long period of time. This is why it's so easy for us to just drift. We might use language like, I just feel like I'm just kind of distant or drifting from God these days. Have you noticed this of the human condition? Like if you just stop coming to church for a while and you stop hanging around Christian friends and you stop reading the Bible, you stop listening to music that builds up your soul, when you just stop all those things, do you just wake up at the end of the month and just go, I just feel more spiritually alive than I've ever felt? Of course not. You just you have this sense inside where you just feel it's, it's hollow, it's dry, it's brittle. Things become stick-like. And this can happen in our relationship with the Word. And so Jesus says there's a role of immersion in this book that helps us maintain this vital union with the true vine. And I want you to ask yourself, when we open this Word, do we open it primarily to just inform us about God or do we open it to involve us with God? Because there's a big difference. If you're approaching this book primarily as an encyclopedia of theological information to inform you about God, you're missing the point of the story. This is a real relationship in which God invites us into what he's doing in this world. And the primary way we learn and understand what he's doing in this world is 66 books, Genesis to Revelation, immersion here. It helps us stay centered and it helps us be involved in what the true vine is up to in this world. So as you heard me say last week, right, it doesn't matter what your plan is, right? You can use the YouVersion Bible app. You can use the one-year Bible. Those of you in Alpha class, Nikki Gumbel has done a, a Bible in the year thing. You can follow him through the year. And it doesn't matter what your plan is, but it's super helpful to have a plan, to have some intentionality of how your heart and mind is going to be washed over with Jesus' words year after year after year. And parents, this is a really important like when you think of the, the, hot, the top stack of the things I've got to get done on the parenting front, maybe beyond the lunches packed and, and all the sports activities taken care of, I would say keeping God's word and God's character before the hearts of your kids is really towards the top of the stack here. We've got to keep this process, and then we have to be modeling it as parents. Do our kids know that we're devoted to this God-breathed book? Do they understand why it's so important not to inform us about God, but to involve us with Him in what He's doing? It's what the psalmist says. I love Psalm 119. They say of Jewish children by the age of 12. So kids, by 12 years old, if you were a Jewish kid, you had to memorize all of Psalm 119. And if you haven't checked it out lately, it's 100 plus verses. So lest you think the scripture memory assignment, whatever we've been giving, is a little too stout. How about by tw age 12, they memorized all of Psalm 119. Why? Because it was a psalm built on the glory and majesty of the Word of God. It has lines like this, Psalm 119, 16, I delight in your decrees, I will not neglect your word. Psalm 119, 32, I run in the path of your commands, for you've set my heart free. Or verse 54, your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. Or verse 131, I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Do you see what they're, they're trying to grow, just ground, right? The children who grow up as a people of God to say, the role of God's word in helping you stay in vital union with the true vine. I'm not saying it's 
completely impossible to do it without God's word. I'm just suggesting to you that if you want to take some steps forward in your connectivity to Jesus and a walking in step with the Spirit and a sense of fully alive stuff in here, I would, I would suggest to you words right here are going to be central to that. And to find some plan that connects well with you that you're immersing. And the great thing is with all our technology today, you can listen to it. So all you say, well, I'm just not a reader, Pastor Eric. No, but you can listen which is how the people of God for many, many years until the 1500s when the printing press was invented, they heard the word of God speaking and listening relationship. So go that way. Get the Version app, click play on a reading plan, and let the scriptures be read to you. And then I love Jeffrey Thomas's quote. I don't know about you, but this is super helpful to me when I think about as you attempt to immerse yourself here, I think Jeffrey Thomas gets at the core of it here. Do not expect to master the Bible in a day or a month or a year. Huh. Amen to that, right? If you've tried sledding through the Old Testament lately, you'll know for sure, right? There's a lot going on in there, and a lot of you want to skip to the New Testament. That's why it's all bright white pages in the Old Testament, so many. Rather, here's what we, rather expect often to be puzzled by its contents. Great men and women of God often feel like novices when they read the word. Let the word break over your heart and mind again and again as the years go by. And hear this, and imperceptibly there will come great changes in your attitude and outlook and conduct. You will probably be the last to recognize these. Often you will feel very, very small. Because increasingly, the God of the Bible will become to you wonderfully great. So go on reading until you can read no longer. Then you will not need the Bible anymore. Hear this, because when your eyes close for the last time in death and never again read the word of God in Scripture, you will open them to the word of God in the flesh, the same Jesus of the Bible whom you've known for so long, standing before you to take you forever to his eternal home. That's why I left that quote in your notes. I think that's one that's worthy of clipping out and putting somewhere to keep the vision for immersion here before us to help us ward off the pull to go the way of the stick. So Jesus says, hey, my words remaining in you are going to be key to this sap flowing branch abiding process. And then what does he say in verse 7 as well? He says, if, if my words remain in you, and the next thing he says in verse 7 is what? Ask whatever you wish. So this is prayer. So I want you to see how he couples the role of Scripture with the role of praying and asking and opening up our heart to him, communicating with him, that there's something about learning a life of prayer that helps us push back the stick-like pull. And for those of you who've been in Alpha for the past month or so, uh, you'll be familiar with this Man, he's a monk, a Benedictine monk over in England, and I thought the way he summarized his approach to prayer, which he spent decades simply praying, you can learn a lot from the monastic communities about prayer, and I love what he says to help us think about prayer. Go ahead. I'd say that there are three kind of um, tips when it comes to prayer to keep it simple, to keep it honest, and to keep it going. Um, to keep it simple means that uh, you have to make your prayer as simple as possible. Um, reduce it even just to one sentence. Um, can be sometimes five minutes, can be 10 minutes, can be half an hour. Then keep it honest. Um, we often think that 
we have to be uh, in a certain mood to pray. So that before starting praying, we have to be peaceful, we have to be joyful, or we have to be enthusiastic about the Lord. The reality is that the, most of the time, uh, we are in completely different mood. Um, so we are either um, worried, or we are uh, tired, or we are frustrated about something, or we are angry about something. The secret is really to realize that each one of these feelings, even the most negative one, I'd say even anger, even lust, can become a fuel to prayer, can be transformed into prayer. When I start praying, I, I just focus on what is the dominant feeling in my heart. Uh, if it is a positive feeling, like joy, I offer this joy to the Lord. If it is a negative feeling, like um, frustration or tiredness, I start from there and I say to the Lord, Lord, I'm tired or I'm frustrated. Um, and I, I kind of express all the reasons of my frustrations to the, uh, frustration to the Lord, and I, and I transform them into prayer in this way. And then keep it going. We can pray all the time. I can pray uh, for the people around me. I can just um, say to the Lord very simply, uh, Lord, I love you, or Lord, help me. I can, um, in any situation, um, when I am in a church, when I am in my room, before going to bed, um, before meals, yes, but also when I'm walking, when I'm driving, um, often I realize I'm praying even without having decided to pray, um, just because it has become a kind of habit. So keep it simple, uh, keep it honest, keep it going. I just so wish I could speak with a British accent. It just sounds... <laughs> You just could listen to it so much longer, couldn't you? I could just talk that much longer if I could just speak with his. Don't you just love that framework? When I first heard it, I thought, that's just so helpful. And I don't know what your approach has been to prayer recently, but I want to just kind of maybe blow away the fog of it a bit and just simply offer to you that grid. What a great time of the year to press into it this Lenten season. Just keep it simple, gang. Don't make prayer any more complicated than what our brother there in the video is suggesting is, well, where are you today and kind of what's going on in here today and simply start your conversation with God there. Lord, I'm tired or Lord, I'm frustrated or Lord, I'm hurt or Lord, I'm really excited about or Lord, I'm looking forward to or you just keep it honest, right? There's no, there's no point of playing. I love, I just, just transparent. The Lord knows anyway, so if you want to fake him out and then just keep it going. I love it. Just, right, Apostle Paul says that we're supposed to be kind of in this posture of prayerfulness all the time. Does that mean we live in the prayer room? No. It just means you cultivate this ongoing, keep it simple, keep it honest, keep it going dialogue with the Lord and everything you're doing. That's a great grid, I think. John Owen was a Puritan pastor in the 1600s. He wrote in such a way that they called him one of the spiritual giants of the 1600s. And John Owen, through the course of his life, he buried 10 of his 11 children and his wife. If you did the math, he performed a funeral and gave a, a eulogy for one of his children or his wife once every three years. And they said of John Owen that instead of the cumulative effect of all that heartache and heartbreak, like turning him stick-like, driving him away, hollow, bitter, angry, resentful, which is easy to do sometimes when you're, when you're on the receiving end of a lot of pain and mystery and heartbreak, that sometimes it can become the way of the stick because you just internalize that and it pulls us away from the abiding. Here's what 
they said of John Owen that when he end, at the end of his life, they said he was a man filled with hope and joy and confidence in God, and he exuded a, a faith and a, and a trust in the Lord that was inspiring to many. Of course, those who knew his journey, they marveled even more at it. And I read a line, I was asked, I said, Lord, what makes a guy like that tick? Like, that's why I want to read biographies when I read, like, okay, I want to read about John Owen. It might take me 500 pages to get to a worthwhile section on it, but you're slogging your way through a biography to get to what? You're looking for a window. What made that guy tick? What carried him on when it seemed to me after about funeral number three, four, or five, you'd want to cash the chips in? Here's what it said of John Owen. He wrote this. Towards the end of his life, he said, I gave myself to assiduous, and that's not a very common term, it means severe, focused, meditation on the scripture and prayer, characterized by frequent visits with the Savior, end quote. Frequent visits with the Savior. And I read, I said, that's it. That's the window into what carried John Owen. That's the window to his meno right there. There was the role of Scripture in all of that, and then he coupled that with prayer. That had to be a keep it simple, keep it honest, keep it going stream going on in John Owen's life. Right, gang? If you're going to carry through that kind of, of journey. The alternative is you become distant, hollow, cold, brittle, stick. So we got... Ingredient of abiding with Scripture, we've got this ingredient of abiding with prayer, and I want to couple it now and pull this together with the ingredient of abiding obedience. Because Jesus says this in verse 10, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. So do you see that abiding flows hand in hand with obeying, abiding and obeying. They're together. And it's, I find at least for me, it's much easier to obey the ways of Jesus when they align with my preferences. That I really appreciate that when that happens. And I say, yes, Lord, and I'm all in, Lord, when the way I think, think something needs to go in the sense of that's where God wants it to go. Yeah, that's awesome. It just doesn't happen that often. It's way more frequent that the way I prefer something to go, that God runs against the grain of my preferences. That I know in my heart of heart God wants me to have that conversation. I just don't really want to have it. I know in my heart of heart that God wants me to write that check, but I, I really don't want to write it. I know in my heart of hearts that I'm supposed to give my time. I just don't want to. That, those moments, I know I'm supposed to move towards this relationship when everything in me wants to go away from that. When the step of obedience runs against the grain of my preferences, right there is the contact point for examination on the abiding. Right there. And the muscles we work is this. We simply surrender, right? We surrender our will to his. We just open up and say, okay, Lord, even though I don't understand, even though I would prefer not to, which is the honest part of prayer, Lord, is there any other way? Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane, he kept it simple, kept it honest, and kept it going right there. Matthew 26, Lord, is there any other way? Yet not my will, but yours be done. And there's a role for examining where are we today and in our walk with the Lord and what are the leadings of the Spirit God's taking? Where is He saying, obey me here, take a step with me here? And it's okay to wrestle with God over it, but at the end of the wrestling, is there a surrendered posture? That's going to be key to the abiding. 
Because if we go the way of rebellion, active, open rebellion in the spiritual life, that's, this is what this produces right here. Active, open rebellion, willful sinning against the way of God's. I'm not talking about the subtle, I didn't realize. I'm talking about you know in your heart of hearts, it's active, open, in your face rebellion against God. This is where that goes. Because that starts reducing that flow of sap right here. And then things start becoming more hollow and then they just get brittle. And then you ask yourself, why am I responding like that? Why am I not flexible in that situation? What's coming out of me? If you're not quite sure, ask those who spend the most time with you. If you're married, ask your spouse. If you have children, ask your children. In a coworker situation, ask those who see you when the project's overdue and over budget and how you're handling the late nights and the early mornings and the stress fill. When the strain and stress of life pick up, if you have a roommate, ask your roommate. They'll be able to speak with you about the stick-like stuff. And then I want you to trace it back to, if there's a place of active open rebellion, here's what the Bible calls us to. This is the role. The Bible word is you repent. What do you repent of? You say, Lord, I don't want to go that way anymore. And you confess. This is prayer. You're honest with God. You're saying, God, I confess this is sin. And then you turn and you say, Lord, I want to go back to your ways. And that's engrafting that branch right back into the vine and let that sap begin to flow again. You don't have to make it more complicated than that. When you find yourself off the rails, out of bounds, you go, just come back. Just confess it. Repent of it and say, Jesus, I want to go back towards you. Here's what you find with him. He's so ready, willing, and able. Have you noticed that? Like his face is always turned towards us in love. If we just turn towards back towards him, he's right there. He's amazing. There's no human relationship like that. Not like him. It's just this continual love and grace and pursuit of us, even when there's stick-like stuff going on. He longs for us to be grafted back in. And so no better time of the year, church, than the Lenten season to step back and examine our abiding. In a sense, you could say the Lenten season is a season of examining the stick-like qualities in our heart that need to move towards the way of abiding. That's what this time of year is about, to see by the time we get to Easter that this thing starts having new life throwing, flowing through it and the, the buds begin to spring and new life comes forth. That's what the word Lent means, springtime. It brings out of the frozen tundra of winter, there will come new life. And that's what this season's about. And so this first Sunday of Lent, we now inaugurate a six-week run to Easter. What's before us? The most significant six weeks in the history of our faith. Capstone of that being right, crucifixion Friday through resurrection Sunday. It doesn't get any bigger than that. And so the church says, hey, you need to prepare yourself and examine yourself and work some rhythms for six weeks so you don't rush into Easter. We don't want it to be that we wake up Easter weekend and go, oh, is it Easter? No, no, no. It's got to be building and anticipating and preparing and examining so we're ready for crucifixion Friday. We're ready for resurrection Sunday. We're ready to embrace it for all that it is. That's what the Lenten season's about. And so this is a pretty good grid to examine, you know. How are things going with devotion to God's word? How are things going in the keep it honest, keep it simple, keep it going with prayer? And how are things going 
and the obeying even when it doesn't align with the preferences. Or to ask it another way, what's become stick-like inside of me these days? What's fueling the brittle, hollow, cold places? What's, what's at the core of that? That's what Lent's about. Dig at that. Let the Spirit dig at that. And then by His grace, see if some new shoots get grafted back into that vine. And then about six weeks out, see life begins to flow. So we're framing up our Lenten season around the theme of one day. So that's what this wall is. I'd like you to pull out your one day cards that you were handed on the way in. Ushers, would you kind of come forward now? Ushers, we need pens. If you need a pen, here's what I'd like everyone to do here to close with the message. Worship team, you guys come on back up. So here's how we're going to wrap this up this morning. I want to give context to our journey over the Lenten season under the banner of one day. And I'd like you to use this card, and as I'm talking and framing it up, I want you to be thinking about and even whispering a prayer about, Lord, what does the Lord want you to be praying about? If you don't have a card, raise your hand. If you need a pen, raise your hand. Ushers are coming. I want to make sure you have an ability to write on this, because as I close the service this morning, we'd like you to come up and place your card and your prayer request on the one-day wall. This is framed out of Acts chapter 10, when it says in verse 2 that Cornelius was a man in Acts 10 who prayed to God regularly. Isn't that a great phrase? So Cornelius was a Roman soldier who prayed to God regularly. That's Acts 10 verse 2. And if you pray to God regularly, hear this now, irregular things will stop, start happening on a regular basis. So we're going to work the muscles. This is a 40-day prayer challenge on the banner of one day because verse 3 says, so Cornelius prayed to God regularly in verse 2. Acts 10 verse 3 says, one day an angel of the Lord came to him at 3 in the afternoon. I love that phrase, one day. Any ordinary day can become one day, church. One day could be today. What is it that you sense? I just need God to come through in this way. Something big, something bold like Cornelius. There's no explanation for a Roman soldier living 35 miles from a Jewish man named Peter. There's no explanation for Peter coming to his house except for the Lord intervening. That's a one-day prayer. So I want you to think about what is something where you just need God to break through and you need God to break in that one day as we commit to work the muscles of praying regularly, Acts 10 verse 2 that we believe Acts 10 verse 3 is going to come. One day, one day that addiction can be broken. One day that marriage and family situation can be reconciled. One day that job can be, you receive that job. One day that financial provision comes. One day that report from the doctor is what you long for it to be. One day, one day that person you never imagined bowing their knee to Jesus. One day they turn their heart and surrender. One day. Well, any ordinary day can become a one day. And so we're going to write our one day prayer request. And this is Ash Wednesday's crowd who did this. And then as the prayer requests are answered, you're going to come in Sunday after Sunday and you're going to flip your card over. Look, one already got flipped from Wednesday. You see it? How encouraging is this going to be, church? Over the course of the next six weeks, all of us having our cards up there. I, I have this image of some of you are going to write some things down and there's just going to be cards flipped all around yours. Maybe yours is still unflipped. But look, what's that going to remind you of? God's still at work. He's still at work. You keep praying it through. You keep believing. You keep trusting. And that's our one-day wall. 
And to help us with this, we're going to declare 10.02 every day. So you get to pull out your phones now and set your alarms for 10.02. Why? Acts 10.2. So 10.02 every day. Hopefully we've got phone alarms going off wherever you're at. Schools, workplaces, wherever you're at. Traveling, airplanes, 10.02. That alarm goes off and you pause wherever you're at and whatever you're doing. And you pray. You pray over whatever it is you're writing up here. You work that muscle. And then you expect three will come one day. One day. And to help us with this, we're going to send out daily Lent devotionals. So some of you have been asking about this. I used to do this several years ago, and then life just kind of caught up to me, and I couldn't keep up with it. So back at it this year with the help of the staff team. I'm not going to be able to do all the 40 days like I've done before, but I'm going to do two weeks of the devotionals, and then like Justin's going to take a week, Julia's going to take a week, Ian's going to take a week. So we're going to spread them out amongst the staff, but a daily devotional will be emailed to you early in the morning to just help us keep working these rhythms, keep moving in this stream, keep examining the abiding, scripture, prayer, obedience, stick-like stuff, vine-like stuff, believing one day will come. We wanna fuel all that. So if you're not receiving regular email communique from us, this is your time. Use your card, you can just rip off uh, the little prayer card there, put your email on it, put Lent Devos on it, we'll add you to the distribution list. If you're already receiving electronic communique from the church, you're gonna get these. Okay, But if there's some you want to add to it, this is your time to add to it. Or you can go online, eaglechurch.com. There's a place you can subscribe online as well. You can do it on the app. But the idea is we want to just kind of fuel that. Monday through Friday, getting a Lent Devo to help fuel us to stay on track. To help us work the menno-like stuff. To dwell, to remain, to stay vitally connected. To believe God for some big things this year. Church is going to be amazing six weeks together. It's going to be powerful to see this wall like at Easter Sunday and just believing, fueling our worship to see the color turn like this. Say, God can make a way. He can do it. And I know some of you, I know several of you, big things I know you're putting on here. But listen, our God is a big God. Your bigger your vision for who God is, right? It shapes. Now, be thoughtful with how you word your prayer requests, please. This is a public wall. Are you with me? Do I need to be a little more explanatory on that? So be thoughtful about the public reading whatever you put there. So if you don't have to use a personal name, you can use other nouns to describe, and God knows what you're putting there, all right? You with me? And then after the benediction this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity on your way out today. You just come up. The nails are all across the board. So you taller folks, pick the top part of the wall for us, will you? Okay, help us out. Parents, love to involve the kids in this. So as you pick up your kids, the kids are receiving some cards downstairs too. If not, the, there's some cards right up here. I'd love for you as you pick up your kiddos today and even students in the loft, children's ministry and student ministry knows we want this to be a whole church thing. How powerful it would be for our kids, kids to see this kids to believe that God hears and God answers and God comes through. We want to grow up children who believe God hears their cries for help and he can come through. So let the kids participate in their own age-appropriate way. Let them. You might have to write it for them, but let them put something down a card and put that on the wall and then walk them in and Sundays ahead and say, look, God answered this prayer. God is active. And this is what the Lenten season's about. You looking forward to this journey? I'm looking forward to it. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for 
that image you gave us in John 15, that you are the true vine. You'll be for us what we can't be for ourselves. And thank you that you love us so much. You prune us that we might be more fruitful. And would you just use these six weeks of the Lenten season to examine the stuff that's become hollow and brittle and it's become more stick-like than we want. Would you just help us see it for what it is and lead us, give us the gift of repentance and confession and then just deepen, Lord, our abiding during this season. Draw us back into your word. Draw us back to being honest and simple with our praying and wherever that contact point of obedience is, Lord. Help us be, may this be a Lenten season where we simply say yes and amen to whatever it is you're calling us to say yes and amen to. And then, Lord, as a church, may this be a 40-day prayer challenge that we look back on. I'm believing this for a defining moment in our church. I'm believing, Lord, this is going to be one of those altar-like moments, like the 12 stones in the Jordan moment for us as a body. That we'll look at this wall through the course of these weeks and we'll give great glory to a God who hears our cry for help. Help us work the muscles of praying to you regularly and then believing any day can become a one day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So ushers are going to come. We're going to receive our tithes, our offerings. We're going to receive the communication card so you can let us know how you want us to be praying for things beyond just the one-day wall. Use that card. Our prayer team, our staff prays through those regularly through the week. And as the offering basket comes by, this is our opportunity to give back to God. If you're a guest with us, you don't need to fill any obligation. You can give online if you'd like. You can do text to give if you like. This is our way just to recognize God's goodness to us and give back to Him. And then be thinking about and just continue to write on these. And then after the benediction, I'll dismiss you such that you can come up to the wall. Let's stand together for closing song.